Father's house, our prayer is that you will be blessed and strengthened by the power of Jesus Christ. We would like to thank you for joining us today as we study God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Justin. Last week we talked about reconciliation, the path to reconciliation. We talked about releasing bitterness. I want to challenge you guys, uh, those that were here and those that were not here, uh, to just follow through with that message. That if there's someone that you are holding bitterness in your heart with, go and make things right and forgive people. You need to take them to the Lord and, for, and, and just have that strength and that grace because his grace and bitterness cannot coincide with each other. And so you need to walk in the grace of God to release forgiveness to people, forgive them and love them and move forward into what God's purpose is for their life. And, uh, and a good example I used that Bill Johnson used was when st- last week, and I'll get in the message in just a second, but I just kind of want to do a follow-up. Had Stephen not released forgiveness to Paul when he said, Father, forgive these people for they know not what they're doing. If he did not do that, Paul would have never stepped into his destined purpose. You can hold people hostage to your bitterness. You can hold yourself back through bitterness. So I want to encourage you guys to follow through with that and to do that. Listen, we can all humble our pride and make things right with people. That's a pride issue. And when you have pride, you glorify Satan. Amen. Hallelujah. I, I promise you that I, I, I believe in asking people for forgiveness if I, if I screwed up somewhere. You know, we've all messed up and come short. But if God's grace can forgive me of all my mess ups, then surely I can forgive other people. Hallelujah. Amen. Is that all right? So we want to continue this thing on emotional healing. And this morning, I just want to proclaim over you guys that the battle with depression is over. That's what I feel like preaching on today. The battle with depression is over. Whether everybody wants to admit it or not, we've all dealt with depression. Anybody raised my hand and said, I've dealt with it. You know, and it could be simple as, you know, the passing away of a loved one. You know, it could be a traumatic incident that happened in your life. It could be that you had all these goals and plans to achieve, and it seems like it's all just falling apart. But regardless of it, we're going to get to the roots of depression, and today we're going to shut the door to it. And we're going to, and I believe today is going to be a day of healing from depression. How many is going to come in agreement and alignment with the will of heaven for that today? Come on. Amen. So I want to read... um I want to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. I want to read the King James Version, then I want to read the Passion Translation, because both, both are good. So, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Y'all just pray, just pray for me today. I just, just want to be obedient, and uh, just want to just proclaim just supernatural healing over some folk today. God is good. Amen. I talked about last week how that a lot of times physical pain can just correlate with emotional sickness. Now, do I believe that everybody that is sick, um, it, it, it's uh, that's physically dealing with stuff that everything translates to something spiritual? No, I don't. If you sprained your ankle because you're clumsy, it's because you're clumsy. Right? I mean, I mean, you might have a spirit of infirmity on your life or something, but hey, you know what? You're clumsy. You twisted your ankle. It's your fault, you know? Get some balance in your life. <laughs> right? Right? So I'm just saying, you know, but I do believe that the weightiness, uh, just as with grief, I do believe the weightiness of depression can bring on some physical infirmity as well. Amen. So we're going to talk about this today. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And this is what the word says. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now that's some powerful, that's a command from Paul. While he was in chains. Okay, you keep that in mind. While he was in chains, he commands us to rejoice. And he reemphasizes that truth. Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. That means don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are, excuse me, 
Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you both learn and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now I want to read this in the Passion Translation and, and just listen uh, to these words because it's so powerful. It says, Be cheerful. With joyous celebration in every season of your life. Let joy overflow, for you are united with the anointed one, speaking of Jesus. Let gentleness be seen in every relationship, for our Lord is ever near. Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. God, God wants you to confess every detail of your life. Don't keep things hidden. God can't heal what you hide. God can't heal what you cover up. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. Follow the example of all that we've imparted to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. So this morning, again, I want to talk about the subject of the battle where depression is over. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. God, we humble ourselves today. And God, we just ask for just a great supernatural anointing to rest upon this word. Lord, I just proclaim grace to be released upon your people today. Those that are, that are in this room, those that are watching today, Lord, I just pray that you would just bless them and let this word be sown in good ground. And wherever we are in our walk with you, I pray that freedom from depression is coming today. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you for a baptism of joy covering this house. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody says, Amen. Amen. So we talked about some things last week about that the healing of soul can be broke of, of a person's soul. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotion. And that we taught that there are four categories of healing for the soul. Number one was the release of bitterness. Number two was the fulfillment of identity to drive out fear because he's not given us the, the, the uh, bondage of fear that we're orphans, but we have the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So knowing that you're a son or daughter of God, uh, drives out fear from your life, right? Number th- number three, we talked about the con- confirma- confirmation of identity, but something that God showed me in this past week that it's deeper than that. It's the mind of Christ to overcome depression. And that's what we want to talk about today. And find the fourth thing, the reconciliation of soul and spirit to defeat frustration and anger. So I believe over these next few weeks, God is going to just free some people and heal some people emotionally from depression, from fear, from panic attacks. Come on, somebody. Aren't you sick of it? Aren't you tired of it? Are you ready to be healed? It's available for you. His word says it's for you. So today, we're just going to believe that from frustration and anger in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. So what is depression? When you talk about it in the church, we talk about it as a spirit of depression. We talk about it as a spirit resting on somebody. If you study in the medical field, sometimes people want to conflict this for just a little bit. And they talk about depression as being a chemical imbalance in the brain. So, you know, I'm the pa- I'm a minister. I'm, a, I'm a, an evangelist, a pastor apostle, whatever you want to call it. Jessica is a nurse practitioner. So we kind of have a balance of, okay, of the physical as well as the spiritual, right? But I begin to, as I begin to study and read and pray, I begin to understand that these things actually are married to each other. That there is a chemical imbalance of the brain. And if you are taking antidepressants, listen, I believe God can free you. I'm not a doctor. I can't prescribe you on it. I can't take you off of it. But I can tell you this, that God is a healer. And that God can set you free today. But I do believe that there is a relation here between what's going on in the brain naturally and also what's going on in your mind, in your thoughts. And I believe it's time that we begin to serve notice on our mind and take authority over our mind. 
Amen. So we need to get to the root of depression and find its starting place. So what can be sources of depression? Number one, it's unforeseen and uncontrollable circumstances that overwhelm us. It's things that happen that's beyond our control. We can't fix it. We can't change it. There's nothing we can do about it. Your source of depression can be when when a mother or a father uh, left your life. Maybe it was through a divorce. Maybe it was through death. But there's a source of depression there that you've kept covered up. Maybe as a child you were raped and you were molested. Maybe it was something to where you had all these things planned and going and all of a sudden just something just some catastrophe happened and it led you to a place of depression. Proverbs 15 and 13 as well 17 and 22 says a broken heart is the root of depression. But Jesus said I've come to heal the brokenhearted, and I've come to set the captive free. That is the purpose and mission of Jesus to give you a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, right? What God wants to do today is take you back to that negative situation in your life and let you know I was there with you. Hallelujah. He wants you to know that in the midst of your brokenness, he's near a broken and contrast spirit. And it may have felt like God was a million miles away during that horrible situation. But God wants you to know I was there with you picking up the pieces. That he will give you beauty for ashes. That he will give you a smile when you were depressed and frowning. That he will give you peace that will carry you through. You may not understand why you are going through what you're going through. But the Bible says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He wants to go to that past because listen, you can't change your past, but I can promise you God can. Ooh, hallelujah. I said, God can change your past. You say, well, that don't make any sense. The Bible says he casts your sins as far as the east is from the west. He changes you in such a way that you're born again, that those things that you've done and were guilty of, they no longer exist in your life. That's grace, right? That when the enemy, the accuser, the brethren wants to take you back to that horrible mistake or that horrible situation, all that he sees is it's highlighted in the blood. It's covered in the blood. It's no more. It's forgotten. You may have been an alcoholic, but you're not an alcoholic anymore. You may have been addicted to pornography, but you're not addicted anymore. You may have been broken because that family member passed away and gone in an unforeseen circumstance, but he's covering you and saying, you know what? I'm still your father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. He is so good. Amen. Second Corinthians 7, 5 through 6 says this. Depression happens when fighting is all around you and fear is within you. However, it is a prime opportunity for God to comfort the depressed. The Bible says he comforts the depressed. How do you know God is a healer if you've never been sick? How do you really know what joy feels like if you've never been sad? Come on, somebody. How do you, how do you, how do you know what it means to be whole in God if you've never been broken? You've got to go through these things to understand how great and merciful and powerful of a God that you really serve. He is great, he is mighty, and he is awesome. So those circumstances you face that seem like it was going to break you, God's just going to make them stronger. He told the children of Israel, he said, the more they're afflicted, the more they grow. So in other words, devil, bring on all the affliction you want. Some affliction that you're going through, you may have brought upon yourself. But guess what? Through all this pain and hardship, God says, I'm just going to make you stronger and stronger and stronger. And when it's all said and done, he's going to get the glory and people are going to look and say, I remember when you were depressed and I remember when you were sad and I remember when you were broken. What's happened to you? And that's when you can lift up your hands and say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. He is good, church. He said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What's the world? Your world may be broken. Your world may be turned upside down. Your world may be full of sickness and disease and pain and hardship. But his kingdom, the Bible says, is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, it's joy, and it's peace in the Holy Ghost. He's a good, good God. So I want to proclaim to you that the battle with depression is over today. Through his word. Amen. Let's keep going. The feeling, number two, source of depression is the feeling of being abandoned and alone, completely friendless. 
Hallelujah. Psalm chapter 30. The Bible says that David became depressed because it seemed as though God hid his face from him. He became prideful when God was with him. But when he became alone, he understood, I need something to fill this loneliness in my life. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were abandoned by God? How many can really say of themselves, I prayed and I felt nothing? I, 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 I listened to worship. I did all the right things that the Bible says and that preacher so-and-so said. And nothing ever changed in my life. But God will sometimes hide himself from you just to really test and see how desperate you are for him. Right? And sometimes you may feel like you're alone and abandoned, that you don't have a friend in the world. But the Bible says that G, that he is a friend that is closer than any brother. Hallelujah. You may feel like that there are moments in your life that you are by yourself, but I want to proclaim to you that you are not alone. Proverbs 12 and 25 says, anxious fear brings depression. But as we said earlier, a life-giving word of encouragement can do wonders, wonders to restore joy to the heart. Anxious fear brings depression, but a word from the Lord, your world can be rearranged. Anxious fear of, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what's going to happen. We was going, we was going through uh, cleaning the, up on the house yesterday because we was expecting company. And Jessica pulled out uh, an old notebook and began to look at things six or seven years ago and began to say, just listen to this, Justin, just listen to this. And she began to read about the things she was praying and believing God to do and provide for tuition and what to do with her career and where to go for a job and we look back and say man we were so concerned then and we were so anxious then and we look back and say why we were so worried God had it in his control the entire time and we go through today and we're and we're concerned and we're worried about what's going to happen this week and what's going to happen next year or this year and we get so anxious about stuff but can I tell you that you can look back five years ago as something you were worried about and how God intervened has God changed? Is God asleep? Is God not is slumbering? Is God on a journey? No, He is there. He has been there. His hand is on your life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when it comes, it's a tree of life. You may feel like hope is so delayed and gone somewhere, but can I tell you that where you've been hopeless, God is making things hopeful. Right? That he's putting pieces. You may not understand why you're going, what you're going through, what you're going through. And it may feel like that the pieces are just all scattered abroad. But can I tell you, God is just going to piece the whole thing together and make you complete in him. Amen. Hallelujah. Number three, chemically unbalanced due to an unbalanced life. Chemically unbalanced due to an unbalanced life. When your life is out of whack, you're going to be depressed, right? It can lead to depression when things are out of balance. What do you mean, Justin? What I mean is you're so stressed out with work and school and sports or whatever you're doing, and you make no time to pray. You make no time to read the word. You make no time to hear from the Lord. You have got to set time to depend and to talk to and to trust the Lord, your God. Because if all you are relying on is a Sunday morning message, it's not going to bring permanent relationship with God. Listen, you can you, you can pray for the sick and they can recover and things can happen and God can do great wonders in your life. But the, the last words I'd want God to ever say to me or to you, to us, is depart from me. I never knew you. God wants to know you and he wants you to know him. Right? And you've got to be in a relationship with the Lord. You've got to pray and you've got to seek him. The Bible says in Proverbs 11 and 1 that a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. When you're like, listen, it's, it's God first. Then it's family. Come on. That's the order. Before you get to church and before you get to work, it's God and then it's family. That's the order, right? Sometimes work can become church because you got to understand that everyone in this room has been hired for full-time ministry. Come on. I'm full-time ministry. All of you are full-time ministry. Do you realize that? Everything that you do in your life and how you carry yourself is a work of ministry and it reflects the nature of God. So the way you treat your classmates is a work of ministry. The way that you treat your family, your kids, your parents is a work of ministry. The way that you treat your job and how you go in a spirit of excellence or condemnation. 
Come on, somebody. It's a work of ministry. So you got to understand that it's God first and it's family. Then it's how I reflect the love he's shown me to other people. Right. We've got to have, we've got to have balance. We've got to have balance. Number four is being successful or being unsuccessful and unaccomplished while meditating on the failed goals. That leads you to depression. You're focused on, man, I screwed this up. I messed this up. I had all these goals, these plans, and nothing is coming together. Psalm 143 says, don't meditate on the good old days. Some of us get so meditate on what things used to be like, and now your world's a wreck. No, listen, God still got it together. You're, in your eyes, it might be a mess, but in his eyes, it says, no, this is a setup for something good for you. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 says, our failures can at times relate to God's correction, but there's no need to be depressed. It will make you strong and wiser at the end. Hebrews 12 and 5 teaches us that our failures will make us stronger. You know what depression is? Depression is a lack of value, or better yet, putting your value in the wrong resources. You are valuable. You are precious. You're unique. There's nobody else like you in all the earth. Come on. You guys with me? That makes you valuable. That makes you one of a kind. That makes you have worth. Because there's no one else like you in all the earth. God made you just as who you are. So you don't have to compare yourself to other people. When you compare yourself, you live in idolatry because you said the way that God created you wasn't good enough. Hallelujah. You guys with me this morning? Hallelujah. It can be the feeling of a lack of worth. But can I tell you this? You are a child of God and that makes you have a lot of worth. Because God's spiritual DNA is in you and he created you. He spoke you into existence. He formed you. He created you with life and with purpose. There's no need to be depressed because if his eye is on the sparrow providing for a bird, then surely he's providing for the people he's created in his very own image. He's a big God. Can I tell you one thing you don't pray? You don't ever pray to be used by God. We're all guilty of that. Where's that biblical? God, just use me. God, just use me. Have you ever been used in a relationship? It stinks. You've been used. Come on. When you're used in a dating relationship, that means that they get what they want till they're done and they leave you and set you to the side and go on their way. Right? Is that what you want God to do with your life? God, use me as while I'm available, I'm here. God, use me. And then, okay, you know what that is? That's a mindset of a slave. Use me so I can just get a little bit of food. Use me so I can just feel a little bit good about myself and feel a little accomplished in my life. No, when you find your place as a son or daughter of God, then everything flows from that place. <sighs> Come on, are you guys with me this morning? And I, don't, I don't pray God use me to preach a sermon. Right? Because preaching is not my identity. Son is my identity. Come on. Hallelujah. You should never ask God, God, just give me enough anointing to to just play a song and stir people happy and stuff. No, don't pray that kind of prayer. You draw close to God and everything else will flow through you. Do you understand? And we may do some teachings down the road on this. Do you understand that when Jesus never prayed for people? Jesus never prayed and prayed for people. And what I mean by that is when he looked at people, he said, you're healed. Your faith has made you whole. Be a good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Like, right? Okay. You think about this. What did he do? Because in his alone time with the father, he had all the anointing he needed to go free people. He didn't have to spend 30 minutes trying to cast the devil out of somebody. You guys with me? He didn't have to do that labor and weary himself his secret time with the father equipped him as a son to go and execute authority wherever he went right i see god god that's some god has set me free from i don't have to go just begging for god to heal people anymore Right? I don't have to do that. I use the authority God's given me and just proclaim healing and leave it in God's hands and go on. 
right? He gets all the glory. We just have authority and we're conduits of the anointing for God to heal people, right? It's not about maybe I should have fasted more. No, that's slave mentality. Maybe I, if I'd have prayed 30 more minutes than when I laid my hands on that person, maybe God would have healed them. No, that's a slave mentality. When you are near to the Father's heart, you just walk in the authority He has given you. You guys with me this morning? I'm trying to liberate you from a slave depressed mentality and know that God loves you and that you're a son or that you're a daughter and that you are not alone. And there's no need for anxious fear over stuff and decisions. He's got this thing. All it's required is your obedience. If God tells me to go do something and I do it and I don't see fruit right then, that doesn't mean I was disobedient somewhere. All that's required of me is my obedience. I do what God says to do. He gets the glory. What's it say? One sows, another reaps. But who gives the increase? God does. He gives the increase. I don't give the increase. You don't give the increase. But we work together. Right. Hallelujah. Guys with me. Get anything from this. Amen. Just give God a good hand clap of praise. Amen. He's good. Amen. Let me tell you wrong ways to, do, to cope with depression. Wrong ways. Number one is trying to drink away your sorrows and pain. That's a wrong way to cope with depression. Covering it up. Drowning it up. Drugs, alcohol, whatever. God can free you from addiction to drugs and alcohol. God can free you from that stuff, right? But if you don't get to the depression, you're just going to go back to it or go to something like it. To try to bring fulfillment it doesn't heal, right? Again, it goes back to dealing with physical pain, but not dealing with the heart issue. Because if your heart is still failing you from depression, then it's going to manifest itself in a different way. So God can heal you of that stress headache, but if you don't deal with the stress, headaches are coming back. Are you guys with me? God doesn't just want to heal you. He wants to make you whole. Hallelujah. Number two, isolating yourself from everyone. Getting by yourself and keeping away from everyone. That's not how you deal with depression. God didn't create you to be introverted. It's something God's shown me. He didn't create me introverted. I've been guilty of saying behind pulpits, I'm just an introverted person. No, God didn't create me with that fear. He's showing me that. He's teaching me that. He's helping me with that. He didn't create me to be afraid. He didn't create me to be afraid of what other people think of me. He didn't create me to be afraid of what other people may say about me. Right? I don't have to live in fear because God didn't create me with fear. He created me with boldness in the Holy Spirit. So I don't have to be isolated from other people. And listen, I like to be by myself. I don't have to hang out with big groups of people to feel secure about myself. Right? I don't, I mean, I am like that and I ain't gonna lie about that. But I, at the same time, He's not isolating me to a place that I'd have to battle such a low self esteem and depression that I don't want to be around people. God can free you from that. To where your identity is in him and you reflect the very love of God to others that he's shown you. Clinging to anything and everything that is negative is not a way to cope with depression. Everything's negative. Everything. If it looks positive, you're making something negative out of it. Right? You'll make something negative. Oh, so-and-so got saved. Praise God. Well, give them two more weeks. They'll be done. They'll be back in the same thing they did. Come on. Can I tell you that mindset's not going to heaven? There's no way. Right? Such depression that every outlook of everything is negative. Right? Negative. Got a new principal at school. Well, he'll be worse than the last one we had. Right? Just such negativity. When you meditate on the good things of God and give no room for negative, guess what? There's no room for depression either. Hallelujah. You guys with me. So how do we attack the negatives with positives? You need a renewed hope and vision in life. Proverbs 18, 14 says the will to live will sustain you when you're sick, but depression crushes courage and leaves you unable to cope. A renewed hope and vision in life will attack those negative depressed thoughts. Number two, engage the presence of the Lord with pure worship and with no selfish ambition in mind. Go after the presence of the Lord. Engage in worship. When you, when you have the lifestyle of praise and worship, you give no room for negativity to operate. 
And if you are given room, then you've got to question your mode of worship. Is it then really worship? Are you just trying to make yourself feel better? Because the Bible says in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand, pleasure forevermore. Jesus would look at the cross and the Bible says in Hebrews 12 that he endured with joy. He endured the cross and despised the shame. How can you look at a cross and, and smile at a cross? How can you see pleasure in a cross? But the Bible says in his presence, there's fullness of joy in his right hand, pleasure forevermore. In his presence, in obedience to his will, in doing what God's called you to do, in knowing your position as a son or daughter, you give absolutely no room for depression. What is the opposite of depression? It is joy. And it is not just joy. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is the word joy. Just the word joy alone is mentioned over a hundred times in scripture. God wants you to be joyful. I've heard people say God's not called you to be happy. That's a lie. I've heard preachers say that's the most stupid thing a preacher could say behind a pulpit. It is. It's stupid. God wants you to be happy. Blessed the Beatitudes is blessed are blessed are they. The meek. Blessed. You know what the blessed means? Happy. Happy is the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the mournful, for they shall be comforted. Happy. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. His joy is my strength. If his presence is joy, then when you abide in his presence, you give no room for depression, and you are joyful. So I just pray today a release of joy over us. Joy over our hearts. Came by to receive that today. The confirmation of your identity as a son or daughter delivers you from depression. Confirming and knowing who you are in Jesus. That's number three. That's how you attack the negative with positive. Number four, stop exerting all your time and energy on things that are unnecessary. Quit using your time over foolish things. You're on Facebook six hours a day. You're exerting. Social media is a key to depression. Some of you may not understand why you're so down and depressed. Because when you spend that much time on social media, it will depress you. Because number one, you don't know how to interact with people anymore. And number two, somewhere scrolling through, you want to find some garbage to cling to. Hallelujah. You guys with me this morning? Don't exert your time on those things. Number five, meditate on God's word and what he says about you. Meditation. The prayer. Listen, we think our idea of meditation is Hindus in India, like sitting with their, sitting in Indian style, seated. There you go. That's our idea of meditation, right? So jacked up. Right? Meditation. The Bible talks about the prayer of meditation. It's that forgotten prayer. When you allow God to search you. When you begin to think. You know, it's impossible for you to think two thoughts at the same time. So if you... See, when you are carnal minded, everything else dictates the way you think. But when you're spiritual minded, you give your mind thoughts to think. Anybody with me in this room? If you'll get this word, I don't want this to go in one ear and out the other and you forget it in two hours, right? I want you to understand that when you apply this word, it will change your way of thinking. And you'll give no room for this stuff in your heart. Can anybody say amen? Amen, right? Hallelujah. And let me say this too. When someone passes away and stuff, yes, you're going to be, have, you're going to be sad, right? Someone close to you passes away. So I'm not saying that it's, not, impo- that it's, that it's uh, not impossible to go through this stuff, right? But if it rests on you and becomes a part of your identity, that's something that's out of whack and unba- unbalanced in your life, and you've got to get free from it, right? And that freedom is in Jesus, and he's here to set you free this morning. He's not here to just set you free. He's here to make you free. <sighs> He's here to keep you delivered and free, right? The Bible says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation in my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. He told Joshua, he said, if you'll meditate on my word day and night, he said, you'll have good success. Hallelujah. 
Blessed is he that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law doth he meditate day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that will yield forth fruit in its season. Its leaf will not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. What is the prayer of meditation? As I read in the text in Philippians 4, don't be, don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God in His peace, which surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Do you see in scripture where meditation is important? When your prayer life is God, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this for me. And you don't take the time to read the word and let God speak to you from his word. You're missing and you're in an unbalanced and unfaithful relationship. He's no longer a God to you anymore. He is just like a Santa Claus and a tooth fairy. It's a non-existent God. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You guys with me? So you don't meditate on bad things. You meditate on his word. You meditate on his promises because it's impossible for God to lie. You think about what his word says about you, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that no weapon formed against us will be able to prosper. And you meditate on the promises of God till it becomes part of your identity. John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Because when you get with the word long enough, you'll become what you read. Hallelujah. It's time we become what we read. Hallelujah. Meditate, thinking about the goodness of God, meditating on his word and giving God access to not me have be speaking 90% of the time and him 10%. No, it's me saying, okay, God, what do you have me? What do you want to say to me today? And how do you want me to pray? What do you want me to do? Hallelujah. You guys still with me? Hallelujah. It's about putting on the mind of Christ. The word says to be renewed or be renovated in the spirit of your mind. Be renovated in your mindset. Some of you need to change your entire way of thinking. Some people think they need to get saved before they come to church. Listen, come to Jesus as you are. And let him change your life. And the fact of the matter is you don't have to be in this building to get saved. God can save you in a, in a doctor's office. God can save you in your bedroom. God can save you driving down the road. God can save you watching this service online or on Facebook. God can save you right where you are. You don't have to be depressed. Amen. Depression leads to a victim mentality that everybody's out to get me. Can I tell you this? A victim mentality will fantasize a non-existent church hurt that plagues you with spiritual leprosy of the fear of man. But a conquering mentality will launch the church in advancement of the kingdom through the fear of God. Hallelujah. That's a mouthful. You don't have to be a victim. And you are not an orphan. You belong to the Lord. I said you belong to the Lord. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God are the pulling down of stronghold. Your stronghold might be depression this morning, but can I tell you that stronghold is broken by casting down those thoughts. It always starts with a thought, guys. Every inhabited sin starts with a thought. It becomes an imagination. You see yourself doing it. That's why pornography is so destructive. Then that pornography infiltrates into a marriage and into a home. And it destroys and kills wherever it goes. Right? Starts with a thought, leads to an imagination, and becomes an action. Do it enough, it becomes a stronghold. But I don't care where you're at in this thing. God can totally tear it down. He said, your weapons are not carnal. What is a weapon? A meditation, a prayer. It is time, guys, for us to take back our thoughts. Because I said at the beginning, depression, that chemical imbalance of the brain, it's an imbalance of thought. And you can take captive your thought by the word of God, by meditating on his word. Amen. So in saying this, 
What do you do if you're dealing with depression today? Because I, I, I believe in the next few moments, I believe God's going to set some people free today. Heaven's going to come in agreement again and believe it. God's going to just help some people. And I, and I can say this no matter where you're at in your walk with God, we have all dealt with depression. And if you have not, and if you say, I've never dealt with depression, you, my friend, are lying. <laughs> right? Something, something is jacked up. Right? Glory to God. So maybe you say, I've never been depressed. Well, at some point, you're going to have to face that reality. And when you come face the reality, you can either cave to it or you can defeat it. And at the son or daughter, you have the authority to take captive your thoughts. Take authority over your mind. That you're not a victim and that you're not defeated. So this is what you do. You go through the scripture. And I've quoted a lot of these scriptures already. But you go through the word and you find every scripture on joy. And you speak it and you meditate it over your life. Right? Amen. You find, you find scriptures like that I mentioned earlier. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. John 16, 33. You find scriptures like Psalm 16, 11, His presence is fullness of joy and in His right hand pleasure forevermore. Psalm 51, 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me the wonders of your love. Psalm 126 and 5, those that sow in tears will reap in joy. Isaiah 12 and 3. I will draw with joy out of the wells of salvation. I like this one. Luke 10 and 17, 20. The 70 returned with joy and said, even the devils are subject to us through your name. But then he said, don't rejoice that the devils are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. My joy is not victory over the enemy. My joy is knowing I belong to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you can go through, go to BibleGateway.com or download a program or go a Bible app or whatever. Look up every scripture on joy. Write it down. Print it off. Or type it on a computer and print it off. Put it on a wall. And when you get up and the enemy begins to battle your mind and begins to come at you with that thing, you say, wait just a minute, devil. It's what God says about me. God will not look at you and say that you are depressed, but he'll look at you and say, you have unspeakable joy, full of glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. You should be joyful that you're tempted because the enemy's trying to come at you. It's joyful because he has a bulls on my back because there's a threat against his territory in my life. Therefore, I have joy because I belong to God. Hallelujah. And you can keep going and going. Hallelujah. There's just so many scriptures on it. But I challenge you to do that and meditate on his goodness. First Thessalonians 5, 16, one of the shortest verses in scripture says rejoice forevermore. Philippians 4, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Hallelujah. We've got a lot to be rejoicing about, don't we? Can I tell you the things, sometimes the things we maximize our whole focus on, and this is what God's saying, don't meditate on your problem, meditate on me. Thinking about your problems, not going to solve. Have you ever worried about something? Has worry ever solved a problem for you? Never. It makes you sick and it makes you worse, right? So you meditate and you think and let God speak to you. And deal with that. And this is the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to conquer depression. Think about it. The threefold mission of the Holy Spirit is to comfort, to guide, and to empower. Comfort. The Bible says he is a comforter. He comforts the depressed. When you're dealing with hardship and a broken heart and pain, he comforts you. Right? The Bible says he will guide you into all truth. Some may be depressed because they need to make intense decisions and don't know where to go and what to do. But the Holy Spirit is a God. He empowers you to be a witness so that you walk in authority over depression. And that that freedom that you walk in now, you can set other people free. Because free people, free people. Hallelujah. Amen. Am I getting anything this morning? Hallelujah. Meditate. Think. Think. Depression. Oh, yes, Lord. If a, I've heard people say, I, I heard, I've heard people say that nobody just likes me. I've, I've picked up on that. People, they just don't love me. They just don't care about me. And they think this about me. Well, can you read thoughts now? Right. They think they have a gift of discernment. Can I tell you, there's no gift of the Holy Spirit that will lead you to depression. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the devil. 
Come on, somebody. It's a lie of the enemy, right? Depression can either cause you to be bound by low self-esteem and bring you down, or it can humble yourself to the place that you recognize the grace of God and his greatness and mercy. So uh, we're getting ready to pray in just a moment and open these altars. But I want to ask you today where you're sitting, that if you're dealing with depression and overwhelming sadness, I want you to search your heart this morning. And I want you to go back to the scene and the source of that depression. And this morning, you're going to repent and shut the door to it. And God, I believe if you'll let the Holy Spirit do it, he's going to renovate your mind and change your way of thinking. This is how you get free, guys. This is how you walk in. Now, if you want to do with cycles of depression and you're fine with coping with that stuff, that's on you. But you don't have to. I said, you don't have to. If you're always fearful, you don't have to be afraid anymore. If you're angry, you don't have to be angry anymore. If you're depressed, you don't have to live in depression anymore. You don't have to because there's freedom in Jesus. He died. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So you could be joyful in him. So you can be happy. So you can be blessed. Does that mean you never go through a problem? No. You go through stuff, but the sufferings of the present time can't compare to the glory which will be revealed in you. Hallelujah. God can deliver you from depression, but you've got to meditate on his word. You're not an animal. Animals are byproducts of their environment. You don't have to be a byproduct of your surrounding. Because your parents divorce and your grandparents divorce and your great-grandparents divorce does not mean you have to divorce. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. Because so-and-so died with cancer and this one died with cancer and that one died with cancer doesn't mean you have to be depressed and fear a negative report of cancer. Hallelujah. He's a healer. He's a healer. It's time we get our minds back. Get our minds back. Get control of our minds. I want to ask uh, the praise worship team if they would to come up. We're going to give you a chance to pray if you want to make your way up. But in closing, I want to talk. I want to close with a story that we that we preach on a lot. But I just want to bring out some points that maybe we overlook at times. How many know about the story of the prodigal son? I mean, you've ever heard that story. Preach it, you know, people preach it, you know, thousands of times. It's like your ultimate, like, message to try to win people to Jesus or get people back on track with the Lord, right? Prodigal son, the younger son, the Bible says that there was a parable with two sons. And the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that, that belongs to me. And the Bible says he divided unto them his living he gave his younger son, and you got to understand in Jewish culture, the older son received twice as much as the younger son, right? The older was the favorite, right? It's the younger son. The Bible says he took his substance, went into a far country, and wasted his substance with riotous, wasteful, reckless living. That's where he was. But when he had spent all that he had, a famine came in the land and he began to be in want. The Bible says that he joined himself to a citizen of that country. He was no longer a citizen of his father's house. He was a citizen of a foreign land. The Bible says that he took a job that was so degrading to the Jewish culture, he was feeding pigs. And the famine was so bad that the food and the slop he was giving the pigs, he wanted to eat it. But he couldn't eat it because he'd be punished for it. But nobody fed this guy. He went from being a son to a king to being a slave in a foreign land. But as he was feeding those pigs, the Bible says he came to himself. There was a moment he came to a reality of a situation. My father's house has, the servants have bread enough and to spare. They have leftovers. And I'm sitting here in famine in this pig pen. He said, I'll go to my father's house and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no more worthy to be called your son. 
Make me as one of your hired servants. Did you see where he went? You got to get the silent voices of the story that we miss a lot of times. That voice that says, you're unworthy. That voice, he spoke it out. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. That depression of, I'm unworthy. I screwed it up. I blew it all. I blew all the stuff, the gifts, the callings of God on my life. I blew it. I messed it. I wasted it. Every bit of it, I blew it and I wasted it. And he came to himself. Can I tell you the source of his depression was not the famine. The famine was the wake-up call. That was not the source of his depression. The source of his depression was not even wasting his inheritance. The depression was the unworthy feeling in his heart. But when he came to the father, when he left, now you got to picture this, the silent voices of the story. When he left the father, he had a nice robe. He had gold and silver. When his father saw him, he looked like a beggar. He lost it all. But he recognized him because your clothes don't define your worth. Hallelujah. You guys with me? He stopped what he was doing. Say, it may look like the father didn't care because he didn't chase after him. But you got to understand the father was in his mind the entire time. And he ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. Listen to the story. He said, I've sinned against heaven. I'm no worthy to be called your son. You know what the father did? He said, you thought you were unworthy, but I'm going to show you how worthy you really are. He didn't even give the son time to say, make me a servant, make me a slave. He stopped him in the middle. Like, hold it right there. You still are mine. I want you to know that no matter what you're going through and no matter what you've done, you're still his. You belong to God. You belong to the Father. You may have drifted. You may be broken. You may have been bound. And you may be weary. And you may be depressed. But you still belong to God. And you're still on His mind. And you're not alone. You wasted your substance. When the money was gone, the friends were gone. But God was always there saying, Come to me, all ye that are heavy laden and burdened. And I will give you rest. His sonship defeated depression. Knowing who he was, he said, get the best robe. Who had the best robe? The father did. Got to get that. The father took his robe, his own robe, put it on his son tell you your clothes with majesty today clothes with majesty he took the best robe put it on him put a ring on his hand that ring signified not only sonship Curtis but it signified that now he could do business in the father's name the same stroke of the pen the father had that same power was now given to the son and he was the prodigal Put shoes on his feet because he came barefooted. But he had sandals now on his feet. He said, you're no longer a slave. You're a child of God. If you would like to know more about Our Father's House and upcoming events, log on to ourfathershouseky.org.